0: Oh, geez. Oh, my
1: gosh.
0: Hello, Fargo fans. We'll be back with a new recap on Tuesday, plus an interview with Fargo's Simone, Rachel Keller.
2: But we wanted to share two interviews with you from The Frame, a daily podcast covering arts, entertainment, and culture out of Southern California Public Radio. They talked to Noah Hawley, the man behind Fargo, and to Jeff Russo, who provides the haunting soundtrack. Here's the host of the frame, John Horn, talking to composer Jeff Russo. If you only see the way she loves
1: me, then maybe you would understand why I feel this way.
0: <laughs> what is the fundamental difference in the lifestyle between a touring band and scoring in terms of the hours, in terms of the work stress? We'll talk about the music composition in a second, but lifestyle-wise,
2: well, there's no drugs and there's no hookers. On and tour with a rock band, right? right? On tour with a rock band, there's none of that. But stuff. In so, but in Hollywood, Hollywood there is. Um, I the the difference is, you know, bit mainly travel and and really just like how you end up writing music. You know, when I sit down to write music for my band, I'm we don't care what anybody thinks. When I sit down to write for a visual media that, that someone else has created, I'm sort of at their mercy they tell me what they like they tell me what they want and I give them sort of my interpretation of what that is and then as that as I do that and they say okay well but really what I meant was this then I make changes and you know whereas I would never do that if somebody said I don't like that guitar solo I'd be like "Mm, I don't care what you think
0: but when you're dealing with musicians and you're dealing with your colleagues in a band they have a musical vocabulary when you're dealing with a Mm showrunner they know what they want but they may not know how to say it. So how do you have a conversation about music when the words may not be available to the person with whom you're working?
2: Well, so it differs from show to show. On Fargo, for instance, our showrunner Noah was a musician. So we have a very easy vernacular. Like he says, hey, can you try this in a minor key? And I go, yeah, sure, I can do that. You know, it's very easy. In other shows that I, I work on where they have absolutely zero Vernacular. It's my job as a composer to translate. So when they say we want it to sound more blue, I have to figure out what that means, and that's just part of the job. And it's a it can be a guessing game sometimes.
0: Let's listen to the theme from Fargo. So tell us a little bit about this piece of music, what its inspirations were, what it draws from, and what it needed to accomplish.
2: Well, when I sat down and talked with Noah that first night, he had said we wanted to feel cold and lonesome, but also to feel the expanse of the open fields of snow. So it was really about wanting to stay within the confines of the feel of the movie. So the movie had a certain tone. So I couldn't go outside of the tone of the movie. We wanted to keep the tone, but to it, to um, create our own identity.
0: Part of the golden age of television, if we're in the second golden age of television, has meant that a lot of great writers and a lot of great directors are going from film into television. And it also seems to be the case that the resources that a composer has at his or her disposal are incredible, that you can do big orchestrations. You're not just locked up in a closet with your synthesizer. Tell me about what you get to do orchestrally on a show like Fargo.
2: Um, In this particular case, I actually made a conscious decision to want an Eastern European orchestra to play the score for season one because the sound of an Eastern European orchestra is a thing.
0: In terms of their instruments? In terms of their playing style? In
2: terms of the playing style and the way they emote. But in terms of what is available to us, I mean, you know, I, I think that when we made the decision to to do this show, we needed to make it sound like a movie. It couldn't sound like a television show or else we, would, we wouldn't be able to stand up to the original. What does the TV show sound like? Well, you know, the TV show sounds like the music didn't matter. Television turns away from from music because they use music as a crutch. When you're making television, you're on a very short time schedule. You have a very limited budget. When you don't get it, you need to be able to fix it in post. A lot of times, like, you know, this didn't really feel scary enough, so how do we make it more scary? Well, let's use music to do that. So that's
0: a lot of what you have to do over Uh, the course of your career. I
2: would say I've had to do that a lot. I get that phone call, like, we really didn't get this to be funny. And that's 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 a huge burden. It's, it's also the composer's worst nightmare. Try to make it funny with music, you know? It's like, I don't have a slide whistle. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, you know, but as a composer, what we like to do is we like to just support the narrative, and really, we want to follow and not lead. But on a show like Fargo, where you're working
0: with very talented storytellers, you don't have to be leading. You I can follow.
2: Would, you're absolutely right. And that's the thing, we, we will watch Fargo without music and then decide oh you know maybe we could put music there but everything is working without music if you can get it to work without music then any music you put in is going to be great Jeff Russo
0: is the composer for Fargo Jeff thank you so much for coming on the frame
2: thank you very much for having me And now here is John Horn's conversation with Noah Hawley.
0: You hit him with the car? You, you said a deer. Why why didn't you go to the police or the hospital?
1: He ran out into the road, hunt. What was I supposed to do?
0: Yeah, so, so you brought him home,
2: made dinner, hamburger, Helper.
0: The idea of turning the Coen Brothers movie Fargo into a TV series struck many fans of the 1996 black comedy as blasphemy. But Noah Hawley, the creator of the TV version, was smart enough to avoid a straight adaptation. Instead, he copied the movie's creative DNA, an unusual and stylish hybrid of violence and comedy, and took the story to a new location with new characters, setting it in the 1980s, and Holly made Fargo an anthology series, the kind of show that changes its story and characters each season. The first season of the FX show won the Emmy for Best Miniseries. Fargo's second season is set in the 1970s, and most of the characters and cast are new, with Kirsten Dunst and Ted Jansen joining the show. But the tone of Fargo remains the same. When we spoke with show creator Noah Hawley, we started with asking him how he approaches casting.
1: Now we have a standard um, that we want to keep up, up with, which is not just a name game, but, but really who who are the right actors for these roles. And, and when I right i don't write with actors in mind so it it is a two step process um and then you sit down uh, with the casting director and you start to make some lists and you start to look at the roles and and this year was a much bigger cast uh the first year really was a this forehander as they as they call it between uh, malvo and lester and molly and gus and then in this second year um, there were a lot more moving pieces. So it became uh, a, a, much bigger, uh, a much bigger hunt.
0: I want to ask you a little bit more about this idea, the standard. I- is it something that you can define? Do you know it when that actor walks in the room? Or is it easier in what the actor doesn't have? In other words, is it easier to define the actor that doesn't meet the standard as opposed to articulate which actor does?
1: Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, you know, for Alison Tolman's role, I mean, I I probably saw a hundred um, actresses all standing in a, you know, a, a conference room in, in Santa Monica in a parka saying cold enough for you, chief. And, and then, you know, Alison's tape came in um, from Chicago and there was just a a quality that she had, you know. She just had a quality, and and you know, yes, I felt like she got every nuance in the lines that the other actresses hadn't gotten. But there was just something about her, um, and so when I was casting her mom this year, you know, and we ended up casting Crystal uh, who's a New York stage actor, and and people know her from How I Met Your Mother. She had a similar quality, you know. She came in, and I couldn't tell you specifically what what it was about her, but she just felt like Allison. There was this winningness to her. She, she had the same sort of sardonicness, but that was never mean, and she just liked her. Um, and that goes a long way with me, I think. You know, I feel like Colin Hanks is, you know, he's just a good guy, and Patrick Wilson, he's just a good guy. And, and yes, they're great actors, and, and they can and have played very different roles, but, but there was something about the marriage of the actor and the role that just felt perfect.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we were talking with John Landgraf, the head of FX, and he was talking about when Fargo walked in the door, and he said a couple of things. He said it was one of his favorite movies, and he was really excited by the prospect of an adaptation, but he was also cautious and nervous about what would happen if it didn't work out. Here's what John Landgraf told
2: us. That's really intriguing, but it's also really complicated because Francis McDormand won an Academy Award for the lead role, and you're not going to have Francis McDormand, and you're not going to have Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, and that right there puts you at a very disadvantaged situation. So how are you going to do this? Is this going to be a show about a pregnant woman solving crimes? Are you going to basically take the basic setup of Fargo and try to turn it into an episodic show?
0: John Landgraf is raising some really good questions. So what was the conversation that you had with John Landgraf and with FX about what this show would be and how it would be different from the film?
1: They suggested that they wanted to do Fargo as a series. Um, and so I walked in and I said, well, you can't do that. It's not a series. Um, that was me trying not to get the job. Um, <laughs> is that but, a good tactic? But, well, I don't know if it's a good tactic or not. But, you know, what I said was what makes the movie so distinctive and, and, and poignant is the fact that at the end of it, after she's seen all this crazy Coen brother violence and, and tragedy um, and she gets in bed with her husband and he got the three cent stamp and they're going to have a baby in two months. Like, you know, that tomorrow is a normal day and that's her reward. But I said, what there, what it c- could be is an anthology series. And it could be that because, because why is the movie called Fargo? There's only one scene that takes place in North Dakota and that's the first scene. And then the rest of the movie takes place in entirely in Minnesota but why did they call it Fargo, except there's something about that word that's so evocative of a region and a place and a and a feeling. 20, 30 years after that movie, the word also means something else. It means a type of true crime case where truth is stranger than fiction. And so, you know, with that in mind, you could do every year you would do a different story And you would say, well, this is Fargo, but this is also Fargo. And then, you know, until the point at which you you run out of ideas.
0: If the first season is kind of the proof of concept, that we can take this idea, this title, and make a series or anthology out of it, what does its success give you creatively in the second season to try to explore? How do you build on that and moving in a different direction as a storyteller?
1: what i have that all the other anthology series don't have is i have this canon of movies that were made you know so brilliantly by Joel and Ethan Cohen and my job is not to adapt all those movies um or to steal from them directly but but it is an amazing sort of library of ideas and characters and a sensibility that allows me to sort of philosophically say, okay, well if I were gonna do a gang story, a story about these two rival syndicates, is there a parallel in in the Cohen canon? And and you say, yes, you know, there's there's Miller's Crossing and it's like what well what's in Miller's Crossing that's interesting to me that I might free associate off of? Or, you know, our first year I, I talked a lot about a serious man as a movie that asked great philosophical questions and had a parable sequence, and, and you know, No Country for Old Men is always is always uh, in my mind. And so it's helpful to sort of be able to reality check myself when I go, well, does this feel like it could be in a Coen Brothers movie? Um, and then it either does or it doesn't.
0: But it's not just that kind of point of view and those storylines or that look. It's It's very specific things like the name of the pharmacy, the Mike Sauce Pharmacy. Is that something where you're kind of paying tribute to the people who are really paying very close attention to the movies that have come before? And how does a reference like that end up in the show?
1: You know, one of my executive producing partners uh, is was a producer on seven movies that Joel and Ethan made together. And, you know, my goal is always homage. It's never... A ripoff, you know, on their accomplishments. It's it's always a question if people just want to watch the show and be entertained because funny things happened or violent things happened, or or, or they like the characters. That's great. And if people want to go deeper and they want to live with the show for the twenty three hours a week they're not watching it, then then that show is there for them as well. And they can you know they can look um, for the Coen Brothers references and they can look you know for the music that we use that might you know they might recognize or 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 they you know they can think about the thematic uh, parallels between you know our show and and many of the movies that that Joel and Ethan have made um but if you just want to watch it cuz you think it's fun then i i'm all for that as well
0: no one obviously wants a show of theirs to not do well but when a show like Fargo does as well as it does what does that create in the audience's mind about expectations for the second season, and how do you separate your job from what you know viewers want and hope to see in the second season from what you are able to do and you feel you need to do in the story?
1: Well, it's it's a really interesting question and, and an interesting challenge, and, and it's not something that television normally does. You know, you, you will have a filmmaker, you know, like Joel and Ethan or or Paul Thomas Anderson or or you know, a lot of filmmakers who are out there today where you line up to see all of their movies even though their movies are not the same. You know, you can come to our show having that same expectation, which is you don't know what to expect, uh, which on some level is an easier place to be in than trying to come back with Alison Tolman and Colin Hanks um, and say, okay, well, here's a whole... it's 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 the, It's a new thing told the same old way the risk of throwing it all out and starting again and doing something completely different, you know, it's an exhilarating risk and, and obviously you, you run the risk of falling on your face and having the audience say, you know what, actually, I really like No Country for Old Men, didn't love Inside Lewin Davis as much and I think that's totally valid as well but there are people who love each of those movies um, more than the other. I just appreciate that I've been given the opportunity to take those risks and, and I, I feel like Um, We're putting this medium, this limited series medium, through its paces and and looking, what can you do with it?
0: We're talking with Noah Hawley, the creator and showrunner for the TV series Fargo on FX. I want to come back to this idea of the familiar and the comfortable. When you are meeting with your department heads, your production designer, your song supervisor, your costume designer – because you're telling a story in a very specific period of time where people think they know and generally have seen a very similar look and feel and sound to the 1970s. When you're having meetings with those department heads, is it very important that you work against the conventions and what the expectations of the cliché might be?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember in our first year when I talked to Billy, um, Billy Bob Thornton about Malvo and, and what he should look like. And he suggested that that Maybe he's dressed in a classic villain fashion, you know, black jeans and a black, you know, wearing a lot of black. And I thought, well, we can't dress Malvo in a way that makes him cool in the conventional sense. What he wears has to be cool because of who he is. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of that look that we came to for him was very much about finding all these idiosyncratic uh, pieces and putting them together. I mean, that coat that we made for him with the big fur collar. Like, we, we put that collar onto that coat. You know, the dentist Malvo look that, that he had, you know, I put him in a lot of Nehru collars and, and for Wrench Numbers, uh, you know, I like the idea that we might do a little Midnight Cowboy homage, you know, with Joe Buck and, and Ratso Rizzo. Um, and then, you know, this year, we I did want to avoid the clichés of the 70s. I, I thought American Hustle had done such an amazing job of showing you a different look than you'd ever really seen before for the 70s. And also, you know, most of the 70s movies that you see are coastal, right? You're either in New York or LA, you're very rarely in the middle of the country where 1979 is probably actually 1975, but it's also maybe a little 1962 and a little (laughs) 1948, you know what I mean? So I think that was the fun of it is always to challenge the idea that we're going to take any of the pieces for granted from the production design you know, I choose every extra space myself for the major players. And, um, you know, there are no details that are too small.
0: What is the creative relationship like between yourself and Joel and Ethan? They're obviously finishing up their movie Hail Caesar. How often do you guys talk and what is it, what are the kinds of conversations that you need and want to have with them?
1: You know, I call them from time to time. When I'm in New York, I'll go in. I try not to bother them. Um, I don't hold the expectation that they're going to read... The scripts, or and watch the episodes. Like you know, what I love about them is that they live in this creative bubble that allows them to make the movies that they make. And we want them in that bubble. You know, the last thing that I would want is for them to get caught up in my show and and make one less movie. And you know, I'm sure it must be very odd for them to see you know bus ads for Fargo, uh, you know, 25 years later. So you know, there must be this very Kafka esque. Uh, existential dread that comes along with that, you know, just that doppelganger effect of not being able to control it or, or, you know, so I try to leave them alone as much as possible, but make them feel as included as I would want to feel. They've always been very nice to me.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the director you hired and how he did behind the camera?
1: (laughs) Uh, You mean uh, week two? Yes. Um, So that was me. Uh, I think he did pretty well behind the camera. And, uh, you know, one of the things that that getting a second year has done is, you know, it it allows me to really kind of expand what the show is. And, and, you know, I feel that the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons from the Coens is is that they, they really tell the story with the camera as much as possible. And so that becomes my goal is, you know, I like to write dialogue as much as the next person. But, you know, what would it be if we had three pages without dialogue? How can we tell the story with the camera? And, you know... Telling the story with the camera is both uh, uh, about what happens uh, in the scene action wise but it 's also emotional it's about it 's about using the camera to really uh, heighten what the characters are going through and so this year we're moving the camera in a, in in a more dramatic fashion. We have a bigger um, story that we 're telling there's a more of a western quality to it um, so getting in there early allowed me to make those moves and show the directors who came after me like. This year we are moving the camera in these ways, you know, we're we're moving it more dramatically. We're moving it um, more noticeably. um, And, uh, you know, so it was great to go in and set that template.
0: So you finished your 10th episode. You have premiered. Do you take a little bit of time off or do you really start thinking about the third season? Is there any rest for the weary?
1: you know there's never any rest i mean the you know i mean uh, in in success is rarely when you get to put your feet up um and and take a break usually you want to double down which we did right away with our second year and and you know i was lucky that the network didn't require us to hit an april 15th air date because i do think what's what's a huge part of the show's creative success is the fact that we get to take our time and we get to separate the writing from the production so we know exactly what the story is and most of the scripts at least are written um so you know i mean i'm starting to think about it but it's really kind of a whirlwind couple of weeks right now so um you know i i reserve the right to uh to take my time
0: noah Hawley is the creator and showrunner for the tv series fargo on fx noah thank you so much for coming on the show
1: thank you so much Thanks to Darby Maloney, Colin Campbell, and
0: James Kim for sharing these interviews with us. We'll be back on Tuesday with a recap of Episode
1: 4.
2: Until then, keep your eyes on the sky.